traveling the world searching for equestrians of all breeds. The journey starts now on the International Equine Network. Welcome to the International Equine Network. On today's show, we're going to talk with Dr. Graham from Rudin Riddle in Lexington, Kentucky. We're going to be talking Heisen. We're going to be talking with Scott uh, Stormstrom. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of things here today. We're kind of feeling our way around uh, the, the whole system. And now, uh, Dr. Brown. Today's episode of the Stallside Podcast was brought to you by Rudin Riddle Veterinary Pharmacy. Have you ever wondered what HISA is, the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Authority? This week, I talked to Dr. Stuart Brown from Keeneland, Vice President of Equine Safety. He explains what HISA is and what the consequences are of not taking a nationally coordinated approach to equine safety and welfare and its effect on the public trust. Dr. Brown, welcome to Stallside. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you here. Stuart, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, thank you. I, yeah, it, it really is an honor to be here with you today. I, um, you know, for myself and for my background, um, I was foaled and raised in Woodford County, so I'm uh, from Versailles, Kentucky, so I didn't get very far in life. Um, but I, uh, I literally have grown up as a product of the Central Kentucky horse population. Um, I grew up here working in the industry from the time I was about 13 years old, and Started out, you know, kind of working where we are situated in the factory floor of the industry, you know, on broodmare farms, working with yearlings and foaling mares, working with stallions. And along the way, you know, met some professional mentors in veterinary medicine, namely Dave Parrish and Dave Fishback, who had always been kind enough to take me under their wing on days off, you know, and introduced me to a lot about veterinary medicine. That's the only thing I really ever knew I wanted to be. And I've been fortunate enough, I wound up going to undergrad here at Transylvania University and Lexington, and then going to Tuskegee University's uh, School of Veterinary Medicine, graduating from there in 1991, and then came back, did an internship at Haggard's, um, wound up, you know, finishing my internship there, was an associate for several years, became a partner, and then wound up on their executive committee and was president of Haggard's for a number of years, had a 30-year career there as a practitioner, and then in July of 2020, um, I was you know, at least uh, approached by Bill Thomason at Keeneland about an opportunity, a vision that he had for a veterinarian to actually work for Keeneland and work there on behalf of advocacy for the horse and equine safety. And so it was a role that Bill Thomason himself kind of defined that he thought might be a really important advocacy moment because Keeneland as an association is really foundationally built on a mission for the benefit of the horse. Uh, it was built by horsemen for horses. And so his vision was to integrate that uh, approach from a veterinary perspective in terms of how they can do more and more things for and on behalf of the racing athlete, as well as the sales participants, you know, that we would have in our sales. And so it was kind of an interesting conversation that he and I initiated on. Um, throughout my career, I have served in a lot of organized veterinary leadership positions. And in the course of doing some of those, being the chairman of the Gluck Center, also uh, very proud of the work I've done as the Kentucky Veterinary Medical Association as an officer there. Uh, I've gotten to work with a lot of my colleagues, not just at Haggard's, but those at Root and Riddle and across other parts or disciplines of veterinary medicine. Uh, currently, I'm the delegate, AAP's delegate to the House of Delegates of the AVMA. I've been involved with the AVMA Trust as a trustee representing equine for about 15 years. 
So uh, currently I'm vice chair of that organization as well. And so kind of have had an opportunity to kind of give back in a lot of real relevant ways. And I shared a lot of those experiences too with Bill Thomas. And when I'd crossed paths with him, we had worked together for about 25 years when he was at Mill Ridge before he went to Keeneland. And so we'd had the opportunity working for Alice Chandler together on a lot of things that were important for especially the thoroughbred industry. And so we had a lot of synergies. We did a lot of, had a lot of conversations leading up to 2020 about the challenges that the industry was facing, in particular, what had happened at Santa Anita in 2019, uh, the role of veterinary medicine in terms of protecting and advocating for the horse, things that Keeneland could also do to support um, the evolution of that in our industries, both, I think, at the racing and the sales level. And so it was kind of became a little bit of a natural conversation that, that he and I were sharing in on a lot of challenges the industry was facing at the time. And it led to uh, this position that he defined that I took on as the equine safety director at Keeneland. Uh, he was shortly after that, he retired from Keeneland and Shannon Arvin became the president who was just an incredible person. I'd worked with Shannon a lot leading up to that. Her father, Buddy Bishop, would have been outside of veterinary medicine, one of my mentors as an mm-hmm. attorney here in Lexington for a number of years and worked with a lot of my clients uh, when I was in equine practice. And so uh, a lot of great synergies with her. She's just a phenomenal leader. We have an, you know, just an incredible team of people joining us there, you know, Gatewood Bell and Tony Lacey there. And so everybody's alignment is really very impressive at Keeneland in terms of what we try to do for the horse. And for me, you know, the responsibility that I have on behalf of all the horses, you know, the charge I accepted is that everywhere Keeneland touches a horse, they expect to find me there. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge thing, you know, when we get into our race meets and there are 12 or 1,400 horses on the ground. Uh, I'm assisted by George Mundy there, who had 30 years of regulatory experience. He works uh, alongside me as a racing safety officer and so we have a great tandem there um one of the things that evolved while shannon got there was also keeneland defined safety as an entire division now at keeneland and so uh, as i'm now a vice president there at keeneland over safety it also incorporates security and so i work with the security department there philip gardner who's our director of security and his team because the integrity issues that we certainly recognize as a part of our sport in protecting and advocating for those equine racing athletes also have a lot to do with the security of the grounds. And so uh, it becomes a bit of an all-encompassing, you know, approach to how we advocate for the horse doing all of those things to work on behalf of Keeneland to make sure we safeguard uh, all the things that where the horse can be touched on our grounds. Uh, uh, You've done a lot for the profession, Stuart. I mean, and You've really just touched on a little bit of it. And I think from all of us that know you and for the people out there that don't know you, I'd thank you on their behalf for all the things that you've done, the advocacy for the horse and your push into the safety and welfare of the horse now. And personally, I'd like to thank you for, even though I worked in a different practice, you always met me with a smile on your face and a handshake. And I just look on you as one of the people that made uh, coming to this town from the outside a really good experience. Well, it's kind of you to say, you know, I have a, you know, I think the admiration I've always had for colleagues, you know, to share what we have in the veterinary profession. Um, You know, we always learn from it 
from mm-hmm. one another. I think, um, and, and you know, I say this a lot when we're at Keeneland, you know, um, when people ask me, you know, about alignment and things like that, we do, I, mean, I always tell people we're here working for the horse. Yep. And I think what we find for people that, you know, in a, and especially in a community like Lexington and you're working in this town, you know, while there may be differences in terms of where we are employed, there's so many similarities about the number of things we all kind of do in terms of working on a day-to-day basis uh, on behalf of our clients and on behalf of the horse itself. Yeah. And so uh, I think that's a great um, unifying, you know, piece in terms of what we all do here together. Yeah, I look at it on as that, you know, uh, we all wear a different shirt, but we're on the same team, and that's the team of the horse. And you, you talked about uh, respect, and part of that respect is safety and welfare of the horse. And we're here today to talk about HISA. Right. And that's something that a lot of people have heard of. I don't think a lot of people probably really truly understand what the aim is. Could you expand upon that for us, please? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's kind of very timely, too, because um, as the historical, uh, historically, you know, the, the industries had a tough time kind of facing some of the challenges that we certainly had on a racing landscape, you know, in terms of things like the 38 racing jurisdiction patchwork that you hear people talk about a lot with different modifications of drug testing or as terms of medication rules and policies that are kind of there that are somewhat um, restrictive in terms of the state led you know regulatory fabric that you that people you know face and so been challenging for horsemen it's certainly challenging for veterinarians trying to care for those horses while we've had a number of unifying you know groups over the years like the ARCI and others that have you know have kind of worked through a lot of the challenges that we have there it's very been very difficult to sort of have the industry come together and to be taken seriously as a national sport i mean i think when you think of the parallels that exist in the National Basketball Association or the National Football League or Major League Baseball you know we certainly find a common fr- framework there around leadership you know that's driven from uh, top down type approach that sort of pulls everything together in terms of those franchise offices all together you know under one umbrella and we've struggled you know at times from the standpoint of a state's right versus a unifying national approach for horse racing and so I think what the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act, or HISA, you know, represents is the industry's best effort to try to pull all of us together under a one set of uniform guidelines. And so it helps in terms of the advocacy and safety of the horse for us to adopt some uh, benchmarking, you know, approaches and procedures for how we look at horses from a safety perspective. So there's two arms of HISA. There's this one piece of it that is safety as a safety committee and then there's also the anti-doping and medication program as well which the ADMC as it's called is about to really be embarked upon on March the 27th. Um, it's been a two-phase approach you know HISA sort of was formed from a, a federal mandate in 2020 by law signed by President Trump at the time. The formation of HISA was directed through a board called the Authority. That board or that authority had been appointed from a nominating committee, and it's got nine members on it. And below that group are the safety program and the anti-doping and medication programs that exist. And so I think that's a really important thing to sort of tease out a little bit, too. I think the initial approach to this was, what do we do about uniform medication? What do we do about laboratory accreditation standards, you know, that reinforce that medication approach that we have for, you know, protecting the horses, you know, and putting everybody on a level playing field. But then we also, you know, recognize that there's so many other facets related to the safety of the horse, whether they be, 
you know, track surface testing, you know, how we advocate in terms of our approaches to sort of evaluate horses when we look at risk factors. I mean, one of the things you point out a little bit in terms of service to the horse that's kind of happened over the years has been, you know, the investment that in particular our profession, veterinarians have made a huge investment in things like the equine injury database, something that's been supported by the Grayson Jockey Club. Um, we've seen these wellness safety uh, seminars that have been put on, you know, and Keeneland hosts those over a number of years and about the information that's been shared there, best practices that have been developed, the approach that's been adopted in a lot of ways have all been things that have evolved that have led us to this point where there's been this opportunity to execute on this approach that HISA has taken to bring uniformity to an industry on behalf of advocating for the racing athlete. And so while that all those things, there's been a lot of buildup to that over the last year and a half to get to an execution phase, the first start of it being the safety program that began last July, uh, and now we'll recognize, you know, the uh, the benefit of all that work and the anti-doping and medication control program that will be there. Um, you know, we've certainly seen over the years lots of varying experiences that horsemen have had with reported positives or overages for therapeutic medications. Those are the kinds of things in terms of the due process, how those things are approached now from a testing perspective that we hope will be brought to a lot of greater clarity, a much more efficient process in how those things are handled. And then obviously this will be the kind of information that's shared against all the racing jurisdictions that participate in HISA so that horsemen and veterinarians that care for the horses that are in part of racing know exactly how to care for those horses and how to, uh, you know, if they're treating or advocating for their best interest, they know exactly how to approach those things in order to comply with a set of national regulatory guidelines. And I think the public needs to know this because, you know, human athletes get caught with drug residues. But if you're that human athlete, you probably know your trainer's doing something that they shouldn't. The horse only gets what it's given. Correct. And so it is up to us to make sure that there's never a situation where the public trust is breached. And if it is... It needs to be dealt with um, uniformly and openly. Yeah, I think you bring up two really good points, too, is the public's trust. You know, I think we want people to understand, um, you know, we, we have a great story to tell. Mm-hmm. We hear a lot about the negative. You know, I know that from a media standpoint, what bleeds, you know, is, is reads and that kind of thing. And so, you know, people kind of tend to focus on the negative. But we have a great positive story to tell when you look at, you know, the, the amount of drug testing that gets done in our sport in thoroughbred. Uh, racing in particular, we have an infinitesimal small number of positives, and of that number of positives, the vast majority of them are therapeutic medication overages. Part of what that represents is that we're dealing with a biological entity. Horses, not unlike people, Mm -hmm. are not all the same. We use, you know, guidelines in terms of treatment and whatnot, but not all horses metabolize things the same way. And so there are standard deviations built into these, you know, calculations for the detection of, you know, uh, laboratory thresholds and that kind of thing. But not all horses process things the same. And so we wind up with some variation in results, and then it's left up to us to try to interpret them. Part of our responsibility, though, needs to be to not just the, the, the public or society at whole, but also a, a betting public as well to reinforce the integrity of the game part so that there's confidence in terms of participating in our sport. And I think 
that becomes a, another moniker of responsibility that we all share together to do that. Cast against that, though, is also the evolution of, of laboratory testing, you know, not unlike every other technology that we can think of that whether it be electric cars or, or you know, our computer networks or anything like that. Laboratory testing has become increasingly more sophisticated. It's more specific. It's more sensitive. Um, the environment that horses live in are, you know, not one that's, uh, you know, hermetically controlled, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they live in a barn backside environment. So they are, they integrate and in, in race at varying locations. So they move around a little bit. They're transported. So they're exposed to lots of different things. And sometimes those exposures lead to potential positive residues that you refer to that we've seen in other sports. And then it becomes up to us to kind of interpret whether those things are real or they are environmental, you know, contamination, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And so I think part of our responsibility here and what I think HISA represents is a unified approach for how we how we advance in understanding the environment with which horses race in, uh, where they're trained, how they're cared for. Uh, bringing together, you know, a set of guidelines and also a set of laboratory standards so that we can judge accurately exactly how those horses are being cared for and how they're being presented in competition. You very elegantly explained the benefits of having a uniform set of standards for everybody to adhere to. Where could the industry go if we do not have an attempt at uniformity? Yeah, you know, so... A number of folks that, you know, I've kind of, um, you know, advocated, you know, on this process before work to collaborate on how we as an industry would approach this. I mean, you and I share, you know, also collegially, you know, work that mm-hmm. uh, our part of the demographic of the profession share in the AEP. The AEP, the American Association of Equine Practitioners, has been a tremendous leader in this space. Uh, charter member of the Racing Medication and Testing Consortium over the years. RMTC has probably been the, one of the industry's great unifying efforts to try to look at a lot of these things in terms of publishing standards, withdrawals, thresholds, guidelines, you know, relative to what we know about testing, drug testing in the horse. Um, but the AEPs had also this role of also being the expert in equine well-being as well as terms of, you know, its role as an advocate, you know, on behalf of the, especially the equine racing athlete. It, was, it has its roots in being founded by a group of racetrack practitioners at the Brown Hotel in Louisville mm-hmm. almost some 70-something years ago. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing, you know, in terms of the responsibility veterinary medicine has often had in this space over the years. And it's kind of interesting now to look at a lot of the things that have been initiated in HISA, uh, also the HIWU effort, which is the, the anti-doping and medication arm of the HISA effort, that you find it peppered with a lot of really uh, qualified and experienced veterinarians who have been engol- involved and engaged in regulatory veterinary work over the years to hopefully help to promulgate these this approach. Because previous to this, there have been efforts like in the Mid-Atlantic, which you have to tip your hat to that group of nine states, and a number of others that have tried to form racing compacts to actually pull as many of them on a regional basis together who share uh, similar populations of horses that race across some, you know, eight or nine different racetracks. You know, we certainly talk about this. I mean, I'm really fortunate uh, in the role I have at Keeneland. Uh, I engage quite a bit with Dr. Will Farber, who's my counterpart at Churchill Downs, Dr. Michael Hardy, who's an Indiana Grand, um, you know, to kind of work, you know, and, uh, and the three of us share a population of horses that we talk a lot about what we're trying to do to help horsemen and those horses that want to compete or race within our circuit. And so the compact idea 
of people approaching uh, that patchwork piece to pull together, you know, the environment of a number of different parts of the country to kind of lead to some level of uniformity is is not a new concept. It was certainly something that under RMTC, where we had divided, you know, had defined these four pillars for which you know states could all kind of work to bring all of the system together, uh, was something that had been tried for you know a little over a decade and a half. However, we we really ran into trouble over the years from a state standpoint, excuse me, of trying to get all of those things adopted and pull all of them together in a national program. And so under, you know, the national, what they called NUMP at the time, which was a part of that effort, there was a pretty serious, you know, effort put forth to try to bring what was done in these different regional pockets all together in terms of a best standard. And that just didn't really had a difficult time ever getting to the place we got to until there was a federal mandate under HISA in order to sort of bring all of us together under one umbrella. If we lived in a world where there wasn't this effort, where would we go with racing? Yeah, I think that's a really good, uh, that's another really good segue. I think one of the things we need to also recognize is the landscape and the environment from which, you know, thoroughbred racing in particular, um, you know, operates right now. I mean, from the standpoint of the public image of the sport, uh, we we have to recognize there is a societal license for us to operate and for us to, you know, be out there in terms of having horses in competition. And I and I don't take that part lightly. I think that's a really important facet of this. Not 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 the lightly part about what we um, what the lenses were looked at through from the public, but the op- opportunity to share what we all recognize in terms of what horses do for people. Um, and I've said this on a couple of different platforms before that. You know, I think in a world that recognizes so many negative things, you know, and there's a, a yearning a lot of times for something positive, horses give back to people in certain uh, ways now in terms of lifting spirits, you know, their elegant uh, movement, they're, they almost have a spiritual nature to them and what they do in terms of their connectivity with people. And so, you know, part of what we're also doing in advocacy is demonstrating, you know, how much we do care for them and how all these things that we can do on their behalf and I think that becomes, you know, a really important part of what is happening within this effort within HISA to ensure that that's there for generations to come. I think that's something that we owe the horse. You know, that's something that we also owe to generations to come so that they can continue to enjoy the horse. Um, one of the things that I've been relatively involved with, you know, in the last six months or so that I also think is a really important thing to cast against this as a parallel is certainly what we're seeing happen in and emerging in an unregulated horse racing space. Um, currently, you know, there's over almost 125 known unregulated horse racing tracks in states that don't have regulatory oversight in racing. And so these standards that we recognize that are there to protect the horse in terms of medication use or, you know, the safety programs we have in place and all these things to do to advocate for the well-being of the horse don't take place in those, in those locations. And so by their sheer absence we have a lot of horses exposed to potential injury we have horses that are exposed to varying you know landscapes and environments with when the which when those horses are competing and so it becomes a really stark contrast in why it's so important for us to get the you know the uniform standard uh, approach that we have under HISA right to make sure that we advocate fully for the racing av- athlete in, in the North America and that we also make sure that we cast it against any of these other unregulated ones that we know definitely put the horse at risk. 
you know, as a public, as a society, as a caring group of people that, you know, have oversight over the well-being of the, of the horse, we, we can't hardly tolerate for that type of thing to exist in, in, Amer- in North America. That was actually quite surprising to me to, to hear that, that there are tracks out there racing horses and there is no oversight. Because, you know, a lot of people bring their horses in to see me and they'll tell me the horse is the best person they know. <laughs> and right. the horse has fed a lot of people and has put a roof over every single one of our right. heads. And so it's part of giving back is to do the best by them. And it's very surprising to me that, as you say, people would allow that to happen or would tolerate a situation where we're not trying to uh, run these horses in the best possible environment we can to protect them, to pay them back for all the things they do for us. Yeah, and I think, you know, probably some of that's cultural. I mean, I think, you know, for as long as people have owned horses, there's been the nature of the horse and rider combination in terms of, you know, the enjoying the partnership and then the competition that sort of has existed between them. Um, Many of these locations are also set up in in areas where there are match racing going on, there's mixed breed racing going on, that kind of thing. But the lack of oversight there or the lack of the ability to bring a standard for care for them in order to uh, ensure that those horses are cared for appropriately, um, not you know, both from a, the standpoint of the horse's own well-being, but also from an infectious disease standpoint, you know, making sure that we, you know, for all of us in regulatory, you know, uh, environments within racing, you know, there's the standards for, you know, the presentation of horses that have had, you know, health certificates done in the last 10 days, and they've been inspected by an accredited veterinarian, and they have the appropriate testing that's required and vaccination programs that are required. And all these things are done to help maintain the, and care for the health and well-being of an entire population of horses to include the individuals that are there. And in these unregulated spaces, none of that is going on. So then we are putting potentially lots of other horses in peril by potentially co-mingling and mixing these groups of horses together that have no standard for testing going on and potentially are exposed to infectious diseases, which certainly plays into the world that we need the internal medicine colleagues, you know, in terms of our experts and in terms of helping to address the needs of those individual horses that become ill or debilitated. Yeah, and that's actually a potentially frightening scenario in that you have one population that is actually doing things right and you have another population where you don't know what's going on. And when they co-mingle, as you you pointed out, we don't need another health outbreak that can be prevented. I mean, certain things are going to happen, but – any herpes virus outbreak we can stop yeah. is a good one. Yeah. And I can sort of see from what you've described that this is a risk to the entire industry, not just that unregulated portion, if standards are not applied. I think the striking thing, too, to me about that landscape as it's evolved in the last five years, there's almost been an explosion of this activity. And so while it's been in certain regional pockets of the United States, we now find it really spread all the way across the United States. I mean, right now, um, talking to some of my colleagues in USDA, I don't think there's a single state we don't know of that has an unregulated racetrack presence in them. And that's a little bit frightening in terms of the amount of effort that we see going on on the high landscape in order to unify 38 validated racing jurisdictions that are trying to certainly do this from a sanction standpoint and have a regulatory framework from which competition can exist. Again, this is actually quite eye-opening to hear all of this because 
I'll tell you now, I didn't realize there was so much unregulated racing going on. So we, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of the fact that, you know, AEP's public policy council that I sit on had discussed this issue in San Antonio in November at its annual convention. And so, um, very shortly after that was the winter meeting of the House of Delegates for the AVMA, and our national, you know, veterinary association actually didn't even have a policy relative to this unregulated horse racing. And so, in January, um, presented on the House of Fl- floor, the House of Delegates there, and in reference committee was a resolution that was passed and adopted unanimously to condemn this practice of unregulated horse racing in North America. And I think that was really important for the National Veterinary Association to take a stance. It needs to be something that other industries refer to where the veterinarian is the expert in horse health to recognize, and it's teased out in that resolution, all the innumerable things that are potential risks for the equine racing athlete and why uh, it would be justifiable to condemn those practices. And so uh, the AP Racing Committee now, you know, has reviewed that policy position, has adopted that, you know, as well as the AEP Board of Directors. And so, you know, I encourage people to kind of be aware of those issues because I think we'll hear more about them. I think it'll be very important for the health and welfare of the horse nationally for us to address those needs. Uh, I think local uh, authorities have a difficult time dealing with this situation, so I'm very hopeful that this national resolution that was taking place on behalf of veterinary medicine is also something local and regional authorities can look to and say, yes, this shouldn't be taking place. It's unregulated. It is someplace that we need to be found taking care of those horses and then other nefarious activities that may be going on in those locations that are also a human health risk. Right. So, Heiser, because it is sort of like a federally driven mandate, by some people will be seen as overreach. Mm. What would be your elevator speech counter to that to sort of say, no, you need to get on board with this? Yeah, I think, um, you know, change is hard. I think change is hard for all of us. I mean, it's it's difficult, and it's certainly difficult in this environment because we have so many multiple players that are involved, uh, all of them centrally, you know, located around the horse at the eye of that storm, you know, in particular, but in varying ways, everybody has this touch point, you know, with the roles they have for the horse. And so to pull all of those things together and to work on that, the concept in HISA of the covered horse, defining what the covered horse is, and then the covered persons that surround that individual horse have all been a part of this uptake that's sort of gone on with evolving this platform to where we get to now to execute on the strategy. And so I think one of the bigger things that's created a lot of anxiety is, you know, the anticipation, you know, of the change and how people will react to those changes and what will be done. I tell a lot of people, especially here in Keeneland or, you know, my colleagues that I have here in Kentucky that, you know, we're already doing about 85 or 90% of what's already in HISA. I think we find that if you really kind of look through a lot of the approaches that are there, their best practices that have been getting integrated across the uh, landscape of the industry, as well as across our veterinary colleagues and racetrack practice since 2019. And I think, you know, it's um, one of the things that I do share with a lot of people and you know, I hear a lot of people about is, you know, one of the things that you find within the safety agreement we have at Keeneland, which is also part of the safety program, but it's also in 
um, the HISA documents is, you know, this revolving around attending veterinarians, examining horses before speed works and before entries to races. There's a particular time point that those should take place, but this is a real advocacy moment. This is a point in time where the trainer and the veterinarian are aligned looking at that individual horse to do, together to do a soundness evaluation on the horse uh, to ensure that that horse is being presented uh, in its ba- best and safest possibility. And that is, a, is a, to me, the huge cultural shift that sort of a, that has been adopted here and is also we're seeing played out to the benefit of the horse. It's, it opens up these novel conversations every time a horse goes to compete on behalf of that individual that we're having this conversation about, regardless at what level of competition is existing. And if you think about the magnitude of that and what that does to safeguard the horse, I mean, it's just, it's just almost it's innumerable the number of possibilities that you can focus on that are um, really become this, this component of this advocacy moment on behalf of that horse. And so that's typically, you know, a place that I try to push back a little bit because even the medication policies and all those things, if you think about it now and where they're positioned, when you make that examination and you look at that horse with the trainer now and evaluate the suitability for that horse to compete, you're looking at that horse, you know, free and clear of all these things and what, you know, exactly should be presented on race day. And so you have this moment to really make good judgments and to share those experiences with the regulatory veterinarians who are entrusted on race day for the protection of the horse. So in essence, the way I look at it is that you're protecting the welfare of the horse, you're ensuring the integrity of racing, and you're protecting the public trust in racing and the stewardship of the horse. And why wouldn't we all want that? And I think the stewardship point point is another one that's a really good one that you make because, you know, we certainly know we have a declining foal crop. You know, it's important for us to safeguard and care for and protect, you know, horses in that respect, but also to safeguard and protect an industry. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we want others and, and, and those who come from behind us to be able to enjoy these same opportunities that our generations have enjoyed. And so, you know, I think that these advocacy moments, this point in time, you know, I hope that we will look back on and say, gosh, you know, there there, there was the, the thing that we got right. This is the thing we did for the horse that paid back this huge return on that investment that an entire industry has put into um, being there for and on behalf of the horse. Yep, and they put the food on my plate and the roof over my yeah. head. So yeah. we owe them. That's right, every bit of it. Yeah. Stuart, this has been a pleasure. Thank you for coming in and illuminating HISA. It's something that I think a lot of people have had trouble getting their head around. But really all this is aimed at is trying to do the right thing by the horse and make sure that racing is held in good regard for all the futures that we will have. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity, and it's uh, always good to get to come in and share and collaborate with uh, my colleagues, so I appreciate the time you've yeah, given. Yeah, you've been, you've been a good friend, Stuart. Yeah, I really, absolutely. Really enjoyed. I feel the same way. Yeah. So right. that was uh, Stallside this week. We were talking to Dr. Stuart Brown from Keeneland about HISA. See you next time. Uh, I wanted to thank everybody uh, at Root and Riddle for uh, uh, gift of giving us information about the uh, American thoroughbred, thoroughbreds all over the world. Uh, Heise is a great uh, system. Um, Heise is literally bringing every state together 
uh, and created a, a guideline. And they have a trainer's handbook, which I'm going to show you here. So you can see it there. It's the Heiser Trainer's Handbook. It literally answers any and every question that a trainer might need to have in the thoroughbred business. And the HISA is going to eventually go out to uh, USEF, FEI, uh, USTA, and AQHA. Uh, the guidelines are all there, uh, and, and really it's going to make the sport better. It's going to uh, give public uh, knowledge that uh, they are monitoring these things that have happened over the past uh, few months, especially uh, in racing, and they're going to be monitored by it. And uh, this, this is what I really like uh, about it. Um, it answers any and every question. It creates a chain, uh, a chain of command, as you might say. It, it, it creates a trail, a paper trail of what's done to that horse, whether you put medication in it or, you know, you put new shoes on it. It gives you everything. And those are the rules and regulations of it, both domestic and international. And now uh, we're going to have a gentleman that coming on. And his name's uh, Scott uh, from um, Show Safe, and he, he he's got a, a app that is going to really uh, help Heisa and the horse. Uh, this this is an amazing uh, uh, thing that we have here. And Scott, are you there? There you are, Scott. How you doing? Can't get him. Here we go. The the app that he has created uh, kind of mirrors everything that um, uh, Heisa has done. Uh, it, you can uh, it tells you what medications uh, you know are uh, legal uh, to use in each state. Uh, it tells you what time, uh, for example, you can give the medication before the horse competes. Uh, it does a lot of things there that. Um, that uh, you normally uh, don't see. And so I, I was so surprised when I talked with a, a farrier, Tim Cable, when he told me about this project. Uh, I was really, uh, really impressed with it. It's going to answer a lot of questions that we have, um, you know, for uh, what we're doing here uh, in the business. Um, for example, if you're going to uh, go to uh, – Another state. Uh, you can pull up on the app, uh, the, the Show Safe app, uh, what medications are allowed, when they should be in, and you know that type of thing. You know, so I was really, really impressed with it. Okay, yeah, what we were talking about here, and uh, and Dr. Brown was talking about was uh, how well uh, you know Hyza uh, has uh, created this, you know, this thing, and uh, you know for. Uh, you know, medications and all, all sorts. It's like the rules in a handbook, you know, mm -hmm. and I think it's going to be a good thing what you guys have got here is because it, it gives you a, a one-stop shop to ask any questions on an app uh, that you can use at all. So um, uh, how, how, how do you feel about it, Tim, being a blacksmith? Is that going to affect your job at all? Well, I'm going to give you a little background on me, and then uh, I'm going okay. to turn it over to Scott's background because I've okay. got over 400 and some years of experience from four generations of shoeing in the family of 10 farriers. So I've been involved right. in the third bread business. I've been involved in the standard bread business mainly and, and big in the show world now. Um, I've been, my career is based on problem solving and those 
are mainly to keep horses sound and their gates good. Um, the breed has changed so much, it's continuing to give us more problems. And HISA has been invented to try to solve some of these problems through medication and regulatory means to oversee. Um, we've noticed the huge breakdowns in the thoroughbreds, and I could go on and on and give you a lot of background on the breeds and the change of the breeds, but we're mainly here to focus on the app. But there's a lot of changes at HISA, and I believe the racing industry didn't address early on enough to change the breed and change the race conditions and change the condition book. But the breed is going to become more fragile, and it's going to continue to become more fragile the way it's set up right now, the condition book and the tracks. And I look at a worldwide data that needs to be obtained from other jurisdictions around the world and why are we having the more breakdowns and it's because of grass racing and because of condition books um i'm been sounding the alarm for more than 15 years that we need to get rid of claiming races racing didn't start with claiming races but it needs to address that's a high rate of horses being older and more breakdowns i believe i could be wrong on the data but right. it's it's become rent a horse and that's not good for the breed and the horse it's in right. the claiming races were invented to take power away from the race secretary. But now right. that is that is becoming more an abuse of a horse. Right. Well, what I like about Heisen, it, it kind of gives everybody a common ground, you know, to where you can go and get information, you know, about that horse, uh, you know, or your horse that, that, that would be running. You know, it records all the different uh, things, you know, like when the horse, uh, you know, had got shod, when, uh, you know, he got medication, uh, you know, everything on it. And, and I think you're so right on that because um, maybe in, in the thoroughbred business, uh, you look at a horse, uh, like, say, at a track, wherever, and, and if it's running in a claiming race, you know that that horse has only got so many times he's going to start in his career. And and you That's start right. looking at it and say, well, he's run 16 times already, and he's got maybe four or five more starts in him. Some go longer, some go shorter, you know. But I think you're exactly right, you know, that it's going to help, you know, do that. Now, as a farrier, um, do you uh, does medications that the horse is on um, give you any problems when you go to shul? Uh, no, I'm. I mean, they gotten rid of the anabolic steroids in the business. Um, anabolic steroids, steroids, I might have been invented, I assume, um, don't quote me, uh, were invented for traumatic injuries in humans for healing. They did help probably a lot of healing in horses, but they did cause mental um, problems with the horses. And me as a sure, right. I love that they get rid of the anabolic steroids. The horses are much more calmer and more sensible. Right. But um, going back to what I said, I've grown my business and to be in the higher end of the farrier world and the higher one percentile it's about continuing education and problem solving mm -hmm. but there is more problems that are going to come even with hisa even with everything that farriers already are going to experience but we all know the best thing is for the horse hisa coming in is its intentions is the best thing for the horse but right there's a lot that have to address. I've been elected to the um, Horse Essentials Foundation, a permanent position, and it's all based on education of farriers. 
So FETs right. and farriers have to be more educated to address the problems that are coming with the breed changes. And, right, uh, right. I set a three-year term on the American Association of Professional Fairs and then set a term on the International Association of Professional Fairs Foundation. And it's all about education. And, and I really believe um, there's a lot of people that could help HISA in the farrier world that are really, really versed on a lot more of the history in the breed. Right. But I'm just right. hoping that it just doesn't come to political positions and they really get people to really help them for the breed. So right. I'd like to introduce well, you, you to Scott here. Um, Scott, I've shot his mother's horses. I've got, um, mm-hmm. shot Scott's horse and his horses in I've been very fortunate to partner with him. I've known him for years. I knew him before he knew right. me, uh, knowing his success and his background. Right. But I'd like to ex- him explain more of the app. I had this idea in 2014 and tried to implement it, but the person that right. was developing couldn't finish it for me. And the website that I created had to put it, be put on hold. But Scott has come in right. to this and really, with the developer, has transformed something that could save many trainers from getting in trouble with HISA to have right. things more in order and, and more right. organized for them. So Scott, right. I'd like right. you to take over. Okay. Are you there, Scott? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. Um, Tim is so right on that. You know uh, what, you know what, uh, where this thing's going. And I, I noticed in your company, uh, if, if they had, um, your app, and, and, I, and I'll let you explain it here in just a minute. If they had your app uh, here in the Derby, and then we had another scratch in the Preakness for tomorrow um, because of a foot injury. Uh, but if they had your app uh, and they were going to go to post, and, and, and they would know that the medication that they got in that horse was legal. And yeah. if something yeah. got into that horse's system, that they didn't put into your app, then, you know, you could actually point the finger. So tell us about your app. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and per- first of all, I want to, I want to thank you, uh, Scott and INTV for, for putting this on for us today. I really appreciate you taking uh-huh. the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, as Tim said, and, and I did listen to, uh, Dr. Brown's, uh, entire, you know, uh-huh. uh, interview and, and a lot of right. things he's right. I mean, look, at the end of the day, you know, horses can't talk for themselves. So we have to have somebody right. be a voice to look out for them. These animals, you know, give us an incredible uh, way of living our lives. It gives employment. It gives opportunity for everybody. And I think we owe it back to them to at least uh, defend them in what they're doing right. for us. And I think Hyde is right in that historically with the variety of state based regulations, it is challenging for someone to basically manage all these different rule books back and forth. And I think it's right for people to get in trouble when there's just that many conflicting rules state by state. Right. So I agree that HISA is necessary. First of all, I think the most important part of HISA's name is the integrity aspect, because this industry is based on a trusting relationship with a person and an animal. And that's exactly how it's Mm -hmm. founded. So I think the integrity aspect is critical. I do know and, and agree with Dr. Brown also that, look, there's hundreds of unregulated, unregistered tracks around, and that's, that is a problem. Right. There has to be some uniformity, and you really right. are going to have difficulty getting any level of compliance across the board 
unless you have some sort of consistent framework. So I think that is important. Right. Some of the things now, do that you we th- did. That do, it, do you think? Do you think your app is going to be able to do that? Because from what I've seen from your app, it will it will bring all breeds together, all rules and regulations. And I, I think your your app would be the icing on the cake for Heisen. Well, that's we talked to Heisa uh, back in I think almost all the way back in June of last year when this was being put together, and they were trying to institute the first rules, but they weren't going to have enforcement over those. And then, as you know, there was a tremendous amount of lawsuits that came out on a state by state and other basis, and that's when they turned over to turn into the Trade Commission, and that made it a little bit, I think, uh, cleaner for them. But at the same right. point, you know, I just look at the step back and look at it from thirty thousand feet. A bunch of lawsuits means obviously people have questions and concerns. And and one of the things that we did is we've taken the approach of providing almost kind of a a virtual system, if you will. It's keeping a barn in your pocket is what it is. And horse people, right? you're not sitting at a desk. You're out at the track with a stopwatch. And we have integrated stopwatches that track things for your racehorses, all sorts of features right. where they can basically take their desk with them in their pocket because they're not sitting right. at their desk. And the biggest problem is the time to enter in all the things that are required. So what right. we recognize is FISA, with good intentions, we also know, as you kindly pointed out earlier, that handbook's about 132 pages long, and that's a that's a big <laughs> sledgehammer to come down with people. It and sure is. The horse industry, being what it is, change is difficult. I agree with Dr. Brown on that one, but it is necessary, and I think this industry is willing to change, but there has to be some way that you can work with them. So what we looked at was for the better part of the last outside of our careers in general, uh, my career was I developed a company, uh, built networks for the Department of Defense, and that's where I get my security background on the, the data we store and things like that. Right. And then my other right. uh, background was finance. So one of right. things we recognize is when regulation comes into an industry, things will get more expensive. And right. this is an industry that is an expensive industry anyway. And one of the things right. we'd like to do is, is try to make it where you can actually advance and change with the industry without having to have people give it up because it came too expensive. The other aspect right. of this industry that's so important with our app is at the end of the day, if you have 15, 20 horses and people are moving around, remember horses aren't static. They're in your stall one right. day, they're in a field the next day, they're on a trailer at another stall to track some other day. So there are a lot of challenges well, we think that you've got to prepare the people and give them the tools necessary to actually understand how to be in compliance. Otherwise, you're going to have a right. lot of people getting a lot of fines because they just aren't aware and have the tools necessary to manage this. You're you're exactly right. One of the things that I noticed about the app was the medication, you know, um, library. You can put in what your horse got and when it got it, you know, and how many, you know, CCs and so forth. And I was just thinking in the last 30 days about some of these trainers that uh, have gotten uh, uh, tested positive for medications and and things of that nature. And if they would have had that app, uh, they wouldn't be in the problem that they're having now. You know, what I could oh, say, well, you know, how that happen? Another you know? layer of protection definitely gives them another right. layer of protection and another set of eyes with a rule book. You know, we've looked at also some of the things that are put out there when you look at band controlled and otherwise substances, whether it be threshold or other substances. You know, right. not all those lists are fully populated. And we've we've spent countless hours over the last year, as I said, interviewing and spending time in international high-end competition barns, from racing to right. eventing to show jumping, standard breads. And we've asked them, what do you need to manage what is coming your way? And how will you right. deal with that? 
because at the end of the day, yeah. horses are a unique animal, but they're all going to metabolize the drug differently depending upon how you dose it, what you do. And so there's a lot of different things people need to be thinking about. And we're just trying to help the owner. We're trying to help the trainer. And we're most right. importantly, trying to increase the safety of the horse because an unsafe horse that's going to break down endangers the jockey, exactly. the other horses on the track, and every other person. And Dr. Brown made a really good point about public image. The world is changing. Right. It's really important I, I, to formalize I think, I think and that, support. I think I, I think your app's going to be able to do something like that, you know, for for the people. And what I'd like to do is uh, we'll work these technical difficulties out this week and get you back on next Friday, and uh, we'll to. go through your app. And you, I know you sent me some videos and some things, and uh, we'll get them into the program. And and next Friday, if you could come back with us and and you know, explain it to us, and uh, you know, and have your videos because uh, I, I tell you, I've been in the, I've been in this business a long time, and I tell you what, that's the, this is the first thing that I've ever seen that comes in and gets you organized and, and puts you, you know, hey, this is what I can and can't do, you know, and it's got more than just medications on there. I notice if you got the, a lot. the video, you got everything. Go through it. Yeah, when we do go through it, some of the easy things, you know, some of the keys to having utility is not people are trying to get in trouble. I don't believe most people are trying to do the wrong thing. There are bad actors and everything, but the reality is right. most people are trying to do the right thing, but they need to know what they're doing while they're doing it rather than doing it and then just finding out that they got it wrong. So some of the exactly. things we have in there are tools like calculators that allow them to take medicines and calculate right. hypothetically when I'm going to give the horse the medicine when the race is, and then it will tell them the rules on when they could administer that, which will help yeah, them oh, exactly. manage the rule yeah. rather than just running afoul of the rule. Yeah. One of the things I liked uh, that you had on there, it gives you kind of a running, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, how would you call it, uh, a day-to-day -day what's going on with your horse, and you don't have to have a big folder in your briefcase. You know, you got it right there on the phone, and an owner could be setting up in the, in the box, you know, and he could see, uh, you know, the things that were done with his horse and the trainer can do the same thing, you know, and I, I like that. And you I think you've got a home run. Into it. You can do a number of aspects that allow collaboration between the community of professionals that are servicing your horse. And right. it's all secure. So, I mean, most of the point of this is to, is to really surround everybody with the tools necessary to be able to give the optimal care for the horse. Because ultimately what they're looking for is a clean, healthy horse, with optimal performance. Right. The, the only thing I see that, that, you, that you don't have in your app, healthy horse. you need you need to put a printer with it so that uh, that uh, when you go to whatever area on on your phone that you need to look at, you've got a little printer there and it can print it out for you. Believe it or not, our app already allows you to print it. <laughs> oh, there you go. When you're, when you're connected so it, to the iPhone or Android or on desktop because it connects to every operating system, you can click any oh, print on the operating system, and it'll pull the page. There you go, buddy. So can you come back next week? We would love to. Sorry about some of the technical okay. difficulties, but we would love to and, and have a, a good discussion and go over any aspect. And, and over time, okay. again, we want to inform the community of this resource being available. And quite candidly, right. it's only going to get better by feedback. So when we have people, we have hundreds okay. of people using this now in Europe. It's in seven languages for different yeah. types of racing administration. But at the right. same point, when, when we get through it, we would love to have opportunities for people to call in and ask things of how it could help them. 
we'll, we'll get, we'll get that all together. And, and I really appreciate you coming uh, on with us and sorry about the technical difficulties and everything. We'll get that all straightened out and then we'll start getting your product out there. And I've got, uh, quite a few people that are wanting to talk to you about this product. And unfortunately Perfect. they, they, they're in Belgium right now and, I, and on their way to Belgium for a horse show. And that's I will right. um, get you connected to <laughs> if them. If they're in Belgium, they'll probably see it over there. They'll see show tape over there. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Thanks a lot, Scott. Thanks a lot um, over there to Tim. Uh, yep. we'll, we'll get him back on next week too and see what we can do from there. Sounds good. Thank you very, Thank much. You very much. Appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Thank you for joining us on the International Equine Network this week. Uh, we had problems, uh, technical problems and everything. And now my job is to find out who did it. And I think I did it. <laughs> so stay tuned next week at two o'clock on Friday for International Equine Network.